Hello, and welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the liberal feminist movement. I'm Bree Payton, staff writer over at The Federalist. And I'm Kelsey Harkness, a reporter here with The Daily Signal. Okay, so a lot happened this week. Aziz Ansari was all over the news. His headline was his name was in the headlines everywhere because of a bad date that he had uh, a year ago with a woman who is now saying that she was sexually assaulted and or violated um, during a date and what transpired after the date in Ansari's apartment. Um, this was written about in this kind of weird half like memoirish half reporting uh by a woman over named kate way uh, who publishes account over at babe.net babe.net the website is actually blocked at the heritage foundation which i thought was hilarious uh yeah i had never heard of um the website before Mm -hmm. all of this happened um but yeah so let's get right to it what are your thoughts about the date and about the journalistic uh, flim flam that happened or journalistic non flim flam that happened afterwards. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, so there's a lot to get to. This initially, this story received backlash from everyone from the New York Times to Fox News. And I think we over here experienced a sigh of relief that, okay, the feminist movement, you know, we talk about all the time on this show how they go too far, but they see how this story is crossing a line. This story should not be conflated. A bad date should not be conflated with a lot of these Me Too stories of actual sexual harassment and assault and abuse. But on the flip side, that that didn't last for very long. So on one hand, you have feminists saying, hey, hey, like, we we need to separate ourselves from this story because we're making a lot of progress with this Me Too mo- movement, and um, this story is not going to help us because, as you described it, it's it's a bad date. Something certainly went wrong in that situation, and Bree and I are going to get to our thoughts on that aspect of the story later. Um, but to to just start out with, if you didn't know who Aziz Ansari was before this comedian, you certainly do now. And I think the worst thing about this story is that it comes at a time during the same week that we're learning more about these horrific, horrific details um, of the USA Gymnastics scandal, which involves a doctor named Larry Nassar, who uh, over 100 former gymnasts have accused him of sexually abusing them. A lot of them were less than 10 years old when this abuse happened. And I'll just say, as a former gymnast, actually, in my younger years, um, this particularly hit home for me because when you do gymnastics, you basically have to wear a leotard. It's part of the sport. And so you're in a very very vulnerable position to begin with. And then you usually have to end up relying and trusting older men with your life because your coaches are not just there mentally as they are in a lot of different sports like soccer, but they are physically the only thing between you and a four inch beam, you and, you know, a floor where you can literally get paralyzed. They're physically there to catch you if something goes wrong. So for this type of abuse to happen in a sport where little girls are already so vulnerable is so, so sad. And I think it 
relays the importance of this Me Too movement, movement of talking about these horrific stories of sexual assault and abuse. And this Aziz Ansari story is really just an insult to the real cases of sexual assault and abuse that happen. Yeah. And speaking of this gymnastics coach and everything that's gone down, uh, Michaela Maroney was potentially at one point facing a $100,000 fine from the USA Gymnastics team because of an NDA that she signed if she spoke out uh, at, you know, at the sentencing hearing. I, I mean, that's shocking that that was even a thing. Um, and then Chrissy Teigen stepped up and said, hey, girl, if you speak out, I'll, I'd be more than happy to pay your legal fees. And we applaud her for that and commend her and think that that's awesome <laughs> that she would be willing to, you know, put her money where her mouth is and step up and pay that fine for her to be able to speak out against her accuser. Um, yeah, especially because I know on this show we're often calling out a lot of the feminist hypocrisy we're seeing come out of Hollywood. And it's nice to actually see someone like Chrissy and use her money for good and as you said put her money where her mouth is um, luckily we've now learned that USA Gymnastics has backtracked on that and they're not going to find her if she decides to tell her story which um, you know it's a personal decision up to her if she's ready to share that with the world but she is a big figure in the gymnastics movement if you don't know who you are and you're watching on our Facebook live show we all remember that memorable face she made at the Olympics it's been ha it's been called the not impressed face and it's basically like something like this <laughs> uh, but she's she's great and uh I, I think actually you know potentially speaking about her abuses is part of the recovery process and it's it's certainly going to contribute to this me too movement um so thank you chrissy Teigen, and thank you michaela for your strength throughout this and for all the other gymnasts who are out there telling their stories because there were some clips going viral on twitter this week i've retweeted one of them they are so powerful and it requires so much strength to come out and talk about this yeah exactly and you know speaking up is one of the very few forms of retribution that victims have especially victims who were abused when they were children uh, you know, and in some cases, in one case in particular, their, her parents didn't believe her uh, and believed what the coach's version of events uh, and his funny excuses for lotion placed at different places that, you know, bottles of lotion in odd places where they probably shouldn't have been. Uh, you know, they just bought all of his lies, hook, line, and sinker. And, you know, in that moment, as painful as it was, I mean, she was kind of breaking down while she was talking. You know, she said something along the lines of little girls who you victimize are not going to stay little for long. We're going to grow up and become women and destroy your life. And, you know, I think that all victims of sexual assault are and any assault or any abuse in general are definitely entitled to have that moment where they get to say enough you don't get to do that to me anymore and actual lives have been destroyed one of the girl's fathers who actually didn't believe her when she spoke about her abuses he committed suicide in light of finding out the extent of this abuse so this is real damage that has been caused and we're learning today that this doctor who committed all these abuses is now petitioning to the judge not to have to sit through any more of the victims telling their stories because he might have a mental breakdown. 
yeah, I mean, you should have to listen to what you did to somebody, you know? I mean, if you abused someone like that systematically and lied about it for years and years and years to a hundred people, I mean, you should have to sit there and listen to it. You have to live with the things that you do in your life. And, uh, I mean, we shouldn't gloat in someone else, um, experience, you know, someone else's suffering, even if they are evil monsters, but, I think this is an example where a clear cut example of, okay, there is justice in the world sometimes. Yes. So I want to loop back to the Aziz Ansari story and ask your opinion on this, Brie. So, um, yes, this story has been the, the media feminists out there, conservatives, most of us agree that this isn't a hashtag me too story, but it has opened a new interesting and very difficult line of questions Mm -hmm. involving consent, involving quote unquote bad dates. Um, So this, this photographer who was in his apartment, her body language was telling Aziz yes, but mentally her mind was saying no. And a lot of people have said, well, that's really unfair to expect Aziz to be able to read your mind. But at the same time, I think a lot of people, particularly women, can understand and maybe relate to being in that situation where you don't want to hurt someone's feelings and just throw a drink on them and walk out. Um, But then you wind up staying and putting yourself through an uncomfortable situation. My problem with this line of thinking is that it tells women that they should just sit there and take it and be victims rather than empowering women and actually encouraging women to take some responsibility for their actions that if they choose to go up to their apartment to his apartment and put themselves in a risky situation they might face consequences for it what do you, what do you think of this the this whole question uh, yeah. this has raised i think that we definitely need to encourage women to be courageous and be brave and be strong i mean kelsey you and i were just talking a few minutes ago about this bad manicure that i have right now <laughs> if you can see it's like it's just horrendous and this is the second bad manicure i've had in a row right? i swear this has it, a point yeah this has a point <laughs> so you know i'm sitting there and this lady is just butchering my nails and i didn't want to say anything because i didn't want her to get in trouble right Okay, that, I mean, it's a different, obviously, it's a very different circumstance, but... You didn't want to hurt her feelings. Right, I didn't want to hurt her feelings, I didn't want to be mean. I think that that's a feminine attribute that we all have just hardwired in us, is to try to be nice and be accommodating to the other person. And I don't think that there's anything particularly wrong with that, but I do think that we need to acknowledge that that is a character trait that we have, and acknowledges the differences and the different natures between men and women, and say, listen, you're going to be more prone to try to sit there and just be nice and polite to someone when either they're butchering your manicure or... If they're making you feel uncomfortable uh, and, you know, doing unwanted sexual advances and you're just going to, you know, you have to realize that you're what you want to do is you're going to want to just sit there and be nice, but you have to stand up for yourself. And it's, and it's in- less important in the manicure situation. It's OK <laughs> to sit there. It's not as you know big of a deal. But if yep. you're being sexually Uh, made to feel uncomfortable or assaulted in any way, it's very important for you to recognize that nature and to speak up. It's interesting because if you are involved in the faith community and you sort of follow the church's teachings on sexuality, relationships, dating, marriage, 
when and what is appropriate and when, you likely aren't going to find yourself in one of these situations that we're talking about. Right. Which makes me think that what we're talking about now, this culture that that feminists are now finding problematic, this hookup culture, they're realizing there's bad consequences of it. But these consequences are a result of the very culture and the very things they've been trying to push down our throats for years that you can have sex without consequences. Right. And I mean, this is uh, a lot of people are going to disagree with me when I say this, but I mean, surprise, surprise, sin has consequences. Right. And that's really what we're seeing. And sin begets more sin and consequences beget more consequences. And I think that's really what's playing out right now. And I think a lot of times uh, a lot of the conversations that we do have about this are important, but they kind of miss the point. And I think uh, Jill Filipovic, I can never say her name <laughs> correctly. I think that's close to how it's pronounced. Over at The Guardian, she had she's an a, interesting... She's a very far left feminist. Yeah, she had an interesting response that I actually agreed with a lot of the uh, things that she had to say about this whole uh, Ansari debacle. She says, you know, when feminists do try to talk about this sexual imbalance, we get written off as anti-sex prudes. This is strange because what we actually want is a norm of good sex for everyone involved instead of the status quo of sex as a male-led endeavor centered on male pleasure women seem to have two sexual possibilities yes or no note that men never have to say no means no or yes means yes they're the ones posing the question not answering it and i think she's 100 percent right uh that it, what she is saying there acknowledges that men and women have two different natures and two different minds when it comes to sexuality, right? Men are typically the instigators. They're usually the ones that are posing the question, and it's usually up to women to say yes or no and to be very clear about no means no and yes means yes. Uh, this is acknowledging the two natures of women that come together in sexuality, and I think that she is spot on uh, in that situation. And she goes on to write, the language of a quote-unquote bad hookup, close quotes, fails to capture the unequal power dynamics and the deep sense of disorientation and betrayal that comes when someone treats you as a whole rather than as a person. Nor does it adequately measure the weight of centuries of misogyny that have shaped our most intimate moments. And again, I think that she really uh, gets it here when she talks about an unequal power dynamic at play. And as a Christian, I think that that unequal power dynamic happened when man fell from their perfect states and decided to, you know, eat from the fruit of good and evil. I think that God cursed mankind. Uh, when we are all born now with original sin, there's inequality that is born with us. He, he flat out says, okay, listen, it, it's going to be rough for you right now. Uh, you're going to die. You're going to have diseases. Women, you're going to have pain in childbirth. And also there's going to be anonymity between the sexes. And, you know, that manifest that inequity manifests itself. Uh, the more that we sin and the more when sin is at play and when we are obedient and try to follow God's plan, a lot of those consequences, I think, are minimized. Of course, she doesn't say that, but but I do think that she really gets it when she talks about this um, inerrant inequality. I just think that she talks about it in a more secular way, uh, almost kind of Marxist, right? <laughs> I think if you were to replace men and women uh, with bourgeoisie and proletariat, I think it would sound almost like the Communist Manifesto, you know, this perpetual struggle between these two sects of people 
Uh, and I think that that's a very secular way of looking at it. Although she is correct, I just think the cause is something different and something much more ancient than what she seems to say. I completely agree. I don't think this is the last time we're going to be having this conversation because, as I said, this Aziz story opened the door for a lot more questions than we have answers for right now. I think ultimately it's good to be having this discussion. The reason we're having that discussion is a little bit strange and I think um, a little bit problematic the way the story was written um, and the, uh, the the author who wrote it. Um, I want to move on, but before we do, let's just play, um, speaking of the author who wrote the story on babes.com, uh, HLN, which is a subsidiary of CNN, invited the author to come on one of the shows and talk about it. And this is supposedly an author that is a quote-unquote feminist. And here is is how she responded a slight part of her comments to me and I assume she fashions herself a feminist in this movement uh, Ashley someone who I'm certain no one under the age of 45 has ever heard of I hope the 500 retweets on the single news write-up made that burgundy lipstick bad highlights second wave feminist has been really relevant for a little while that's from Katie way who was on CBS this morning uh, yesterday morning and I think the reason I want to share that is because mm. if you truly believe in the Me Too movement, if you truly believe in women's rights, if you truly believe in feminism, the last thing you should do is attack someone in an ad hominem way for her age, I'm 50, and for my highlights, I was brown haired for a while when I was a war correspondent interviewing Yasser Arafat and in Afghanistan and Iraq, Gaza and the West Bank, Google those places. That is not the way we have this conversation as women or men. We don't attack, as journalists, let's be frank, right. we do not attack people for their age or their highlights or their lipstick because it is the most hypocritical thing mm. a woman who says she supports the women's movement could ever do. And that's the caliber of the woman who was given all of this power and was able to wield this power. The reason I sort of go on this diatribe is because I want to make sure that we are all clear, caveat emptor applies. When you read what's on the interwebs, caveat emptor applies. Yes, hypocrisy at its finest. That, again, was a response to the author, Katie Way, of that piece, outing Aziz Asari on babes.com. That wraps up our first That ha Happens segment. We will be back with a rapid fire edition after this short break. And we are back on Problematic Women, finishing up our That Happened rapid fire segment this time the first topic we want to talk about is the media going absolutely bonkers over trump's health report this health report was performed by the same exact doctor who is in the military and assessed president obama but for some reason when it comes to president trump the media doesn't believe him that he's actually quite healthy here's a clip if you don't believe me believe cnn here is President Trump's official body mass index. He is reportedly yesterday six foot three inches tall, though that is different from previous 
official exams where he was 6'2". So somehow he has grown while being in the White House. Um, and his weight was 239, meaning his body mass index is 29.9. At 29.9 uh, means someone is, is overweight. 30, just to give you a little bit of context, means someone is obese. Okay, so, so he's... Um, but CNN basically freaked out and, and called so Trump the view. Called Trump obese, basically. I mean, he might be. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's a point one difference between obesity he's, and not. Apparently, he's on the threshold. I think it's fine to point out the fact that he's overweight. Like we all have eyes, we all can see that. Um, but I think a lot of the over-the-top response to the doctor saying, hey, you know, I performed this cognitive test on him. He scored perfect. He's fine. He doesn't have Alzheimer's. He doesn't have dementia. Tested his heart. He doesn't have heart disease. He has, you know, a little bit high blood pressure, which we're going to try to work on. And is, I mean, can you think of a 71-year-old man who doesn't have high blood blood pressure like most do right um i think has been really interesting and a lot of the questions thrown around and posed during the press conference uh earlier this week were just absolutely completely insane i mean a reporter literally was like oh uh is donald trump limited to one scoop of ice cream now <laughs> like what this does not matter you are insane and then afterwards after this whole big like hour long hour and a half long presser where this doctor answers literally every single one of their questions then uh the view i think it was yesterday or this morning was coming out and they were like oh my god do we think that this doctor is even real look he mis he spelled his name one way in one form when he filed obama's uh medical report you know five years ago and then ooh, look at the way that he spelled his name a little bit differently on another report it uh, wasn't in his actual signature. This no, looked no, like a no. piece of paper was that like, was typed up by someone who by like works for him. Yeah, and it, it looked was like an assistant spelled his name. So his name is Ronnie Jackson. One time it was spelled R O N N I E, and another time it was spelled with a Y. And so they were like being truthers on this doctor that's been in the White House since 2006. Uh, and deciding that, oh, we're going to go truther and, you know, go conspiracy theory on this doctor because we don't like that, you know, basically if he anything other than, yeah, we need to 25th amendment <laughs> this guy right this second, they wouldn't have been happy with. And it didn't stop there. So Dana Milbank over at The Washington Post is now out with a piece questioning Trump's doctor because the narrative surrounding Trump's health fell flat. They couldn't they they can no longer try to say Trump's not healthy because he actually requested this cognitive exam and he's, you know, overall in pretty good health. Yes, he could lay off the McDonald's cheeseburgers a little bit. So could we all. I was going to say yeah. so could we all. Um but I was just shocked that you know, it's like one narrative falls flat, so then you go even lower. I thought when they go when when we go low when we when we go low, they're supposed to go high. They yeah. went even lower than you even knew they could go. Yeah. Um, he said, "Quote: Examining the White House physician's briefing on President Trump's physical, I was alarmed not about the president's health, but the doctor's. So he's questioning the doctor's health now." Crazy, crazy town. We're in so crazy if town. you don't say the president's crazy, then you are also crazy. Yes. This is like, this is like the mentally deranged person who's just like screaming uh, on the subway. You know what I mean? When they're just like, oh, you all are the crazy ones. I'm the only one not crazy. 
I think that's really what this is. They're revealing themselves to be our tinfoil hat kind of guys right now. This is what's going on. And they wonder why trust in the media is at an all-time low in single digits with the exception of Fox News. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, our next That Happened topic. CVS is no longer allowing Photoshop ads for its product. Starting in April, the company will no longer change or enhance a person's size, shape, proportion, skin, or eye color, wrinkles, or any other individual characteristics um, in imagery created for their stores, websites, social media, and marketing materials, a representative for CVS told People Magazine. Bray, what are your thoughts? So I think it's kind of silly that they're doing this. I think that companies should be allowed to run ads claiming whatever they want. And I think that buyers should be smart enough to suss out the claims that products are making. Uh, That being said, I mean, CVS is not a governmental agency. If it was, I think I would be just freaking out right now. But, you know, they're also a private company. So it's also fine if CVS dictates to another company what they will and not and will not sell in their own stores i think these are all well within everyone's rights however i do think that it's a little bit silly and a little bit ridiculous uh but i know you disagree kelsey (laughs) i do disagree so i i love this story i think the world is filled with far too many photoshop pictures promoting uh promoting you know an image of women that none of us can realistically achieve unless we have millions and millions of dollars. And let's be real, if you have millions and millions of dollars and are deciding to spend those millions of dollars on your appearance, you're probably getting a lot of plastic surgery that maybe looks good in these pictures, but in real real life, people can tell and it does not look so good. Um, I think it's always good for companies to be open and upfront and honest with their customers. If I'm going to buy mascara, I don't want to be told it's going to make my eyelashes an inch <laughs> an inch longer when it's really obviously no way going to do that. Um, I think that young girls are just overwhelmed with so many appearance-focused photos, and it would be nice to see a few more wrinkles from time to time. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole conversation around aging in particular is just weird. And I mean, I'm only 25 years old, but I'm already uncomfortable with aging and the fact that that's going to happen. I'm like so afraid of it because I think our society is so weird about it. So I definitely think that we need to change a lot of our preconceived notions about aging and all of those things. So I'm just a few years older than you, and I found my first piece of gray hair, and I will tell you it was a pretty depressing day that I will never forget. (laughs) It's also scary when you look in the mirror and you realize... You know, you feel like you're young, but you actually do have a few wrinkles. But what I'm saying here, and this gets back to my view on the CVS story, is that I think society has taught me to um, be disgusted by these signs of aging rather than wrinkles are really a sign of emotions and laughter and really great life experiences. Sounds cheesy, but every wrinkle has a story behind it. And I think that's something we can do better as a society to embrace rather than object to. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm going to be honest. I have stretch marks and it took me a really long time to just be like, there's, these are not going away and it's fine. 
and it is fine yeah it is it is fine so if you have stretch marks who cares <laughs> speaking of stretch marks uh, this is actually not at all related but i'm gonna try bit. to make it work so apparently according to two psychologists if you take a lot of selfies you might have a mental disorder um i wrote about this a little bit earlier this week over at the which you can read more about but basically these two psychologists found that uh individuals who post more than I think it was like eight selfies a day might suffer from a lower self-esteem and might feel that they need to compete a little bit more with other individuals and they feel that posting selfies is like this competition and they're always competing for attention from other people so I guess bottom line don't post eight selfies a day (laughs) maybe keep it to like one or two a week or something like that I agree. I, I I don't know how much I agree with these, with define with with categorizing yeah. people who take selfies with some sort of like mental and, illness. And they themselves in the study were like, "This is no in no way like a definitive end all be all study. This is just like us starting to look at this. No one's looking at this. No one's talking about the psychological effects of posting a lot of selfies. We're gonna start doing that, and this is kind of our stab in the dark. We're probably wrong." At the end, they kind of even said that, like, we're probably wrong. Um, but we're just hoping that this study encourages further study, which I'll, I think is valid. I'll just say there there are definitely negative si- sides to selfies. Um, they can, you know, be very self-centered. But also, selfies are a way to take pictures of yourself and loved ones instead of just, you know, we used to only be able to take pictures of our children or of our husbands, whatever. And now we can actually be in those photos with them by just taking a selfie so there's some pros and cons we'll see where it goes i know you all are really interested in it so we'll, we'll brie will be sure to follow that one yeah and speaking of <laughs> selfies google art doppelgangers is rolling in this new app that google has they're rolling out this feature where you can take a selfie of yourself and it pairs you uh with like a famous portrait to see so we can post those also we can post the selfies that we got mm-hmm. and the results that we got i got paired up with a couple of men uh so it might be interesting <laughs> That that's Real in these days though. Yeah. That's yeah. popular. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up our That Happens segment for the week. We will be right back to touch briefly on some interesting and exciting events happening in the district and across the country this weekend, and also to crown our problematic woman of the week. All right. Well, before we get to the best part of the show, crowning our problem like one of the week, I want to touch on the March for Life that's happening in this district tomorrow. And then on Saturday, we have round two of the Women's March. The main march is going to be happening in Vegas this year, but there's also going to be one in D.C., Bree, I know we both talked about attending both of these marches. It's going it, to the reason they're not back to back on purpose, but it creates a very interesting narrative the fact that they are yeah the juxtaposition is really interesting i remember going to the women's march last year followed by the march for life uh and was just really surprised at the differences in crowds right just the people that are showing up to these various events just the big 
differences uh, between the two. I mean, at the pro-life march, it's mostly families. A lot of them are bussed in from Iowa, you know, coming here to stand up for the rights and the life of the unborn and the most vulnerable in our society. Um, and they're just kind of like normal people that you're like, oh, I would see these people in the grocery store or I would hang out with them. Um, and a lot of Whereas the next day at the Women's March, it was, you know, a lot of mostly normal people, too, but a definitely larger uh, element of, like, these kind of weird fringe people where you're like, uh, I would never, inter- like, I would never see or interact with someone who was, like, behaving this way or, you know, just had a lot of really angry signs and angry shirts and, like, angry things. It's like, okay, just a very big difference in attitudes, I think, between the two movements also. Yeah, so we will both be at those marches. We will do a few Facebook Lives for anybody watching on Facebook Live right now. Brie and I will be doing that. We will be interviewing some problematic women at the March for Life tomorrow, and we'll be playing some of those interviews in next week's edition, so be sure to stay tuned. Also, a little bit of an update. So I just ran into someone from the New Wave Feminists, which were the pro-life feminists that were banned from the Women's March last year. They'll be at the Women's March this year. Um, One of the Destiny um, was telling me that the Women's March this year is so disorganized that (laughs) they weren't even organized enough to kick them out. So they'll be there. They'll be marching. They'll be marching for women and also for life. Great. Love it. All right. Well, it is time to crown our problematic woman of the week. Bray, would you like to do the honors? Sure. This week, our problematic woman is Homeland Secretary, I'm sorry, Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nelson. So earlier this week, or last week rather. It was on it was on Tuesday. It was on Tuesday. Oh my gosh. The weeks are blurring together. Yep. I'm like, this was a month ago. It was two days ago. All right. This is how things are. This is Trump's America. It, it is Trump's is America. Month. All right. Okay. So Cory Booker, Democratic senator from New Jersey, just went on this really weird rant for literally 11 minutes, just berating and at times screaming at Kirsten um, because Donald Trump used a bad word in a meeting and he decided to take it out on her and it was just all really odd. So it's very, very odd. We're obviously not going to play all 11 minutes of it, but just to get a taste of what he said and how he said it. Yeah. Listen in. Don't language festers. When ignorance and bigotry is allied with power, it is a dangerous force in our country. Your silence and your amnesia is complicity. Right now in our nation, we have a problem. I don't know if 73% of your time is spent on white supremacist hate groups. I don't know if 73% of your time is spent concerned about the people in fear in communities in this country, Sikh Americans, Muslim Americans, black Americans. The fact pattern is clear of the threats in this country. I hurt. When Dick Durbin called me, I had tears of rage when I heard about this experience in that meeting. And for you not to feel that hurt and that pain and to dismiss some of the questions of my colleagues, saying I've already answered that line of questions when tens of millions of Americans are hurting right now because of what they're worried about what happened in the White House. That's unacceptable to me. There are threats in this country. People plotting. I receive enough death threats to know the reality. Kamala receives enough death threats 
to know the reality. Maisie receives enough death threats to know the reality. And I've got a president of the United States whose office I respect, who talks about the country's origins of my fellow citizens in the most despicable of manner. You don't remember. You can't remember the words of your commander-in-chief. I find that unacceptable. Mr. Chairman, I'm grateful to be on this committee. I'm more than ever today happy I am here. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I can't help but wonder how many dress rehearsals he did. In the mirror. <laughs> In the mirror for that speech. Yeah. Um, so if you thought that was bad, listen to this next clip we pulled of him actually cutting off the witness on the stand. Um, and just so you know, if, if you've never watched a hearing before, the purpose of hearings are to have interactions and exchanges and to ask questions of your witness. But instead, here's what Booker did. Our, our, Looks our, like we, we will have, get that clip up for you our computer, later. Yeah, our computer is being a little slow. We'll we'll try to get that back for you. But he was very interrupty, very rude, very mansplaining, in my opinion. Although Kelsey, I know you don't like that term. Um, I think he was really mansplaining, and I think that it was ridiculous uh, for him to go off on her for eleven minutes about something another man said. Like, since when are women responsible for the actions that men do? Right. I thought that that was something that we weren't supposed to do. I thought we weren't supposed to blame women for what their male bosses do. And yet that's exactly what he's doing here. Uh, I mean, I think it's just so ridiculous that she is being blamed for Donald Trump saying a bad word. Uh I, it's just uh, it's appalling to me, honestly. So at one point during this 11 minute rant, it was about five minutes in, uh, Nielsen tried to respond to some of the allegations that were being launched against her. And you heard it. These were very low blows, basically calling her a racist and accusing right. her. 73 percent of your time uh, spent on being a racist or, or not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. So I think we can get this clip back up. I apologize for having some technical difficulties. Um, but here's the clip of Booker cutting off Nielsen when she attempted to respond. And while you're listening to this, just imagine if your head, in your head, if this were a Republican saying it to a Democrat female. That the commander of chief of this country could with broad brushes talk about certain nations and thus cast a shadow over the millions of Americans who are from those communities. And that you could even say in your testimony the Norwegians were, were preferenced by him because they're so hardworking. I, I didn't uh, excuse me, let me finish. Happy to. Let me just draw a connection of why that matters. I'm sure you remember the six words from our president, the six words that he said Yeah, so it just, there's a lot more of that. It just goes on and on and on. He asks her a question that he doesn't actually want her to answer. She tries to answer it. He interrupts her, mansplains what he thinks she's going to say, and then it goes on and soliloquies for a considerable period of time. I mean, it's just that over and over and over again. And as you said, Kelsey, I mean, could you even imagine the conversation that we would see? And honestly, I'm surprised at the reaction that we are seeing. Um, 
you know, I, I've seen several clips from like now this and the Young Turks and other different kind of progressive um, sites, uh, you know, saying, oh, look at Cory Booker standing up to Trump's America. Look at him, you know, resisting with grace when that's really not what we are seeing um, at well, all. And I think the reaction is stunning because, as you said, if it was a Republican doing this to uh, any woman, it would be, oh, mansplaining, mansplaining, mansplaining. And we have seen examples of this. Exactly. We don't even have to imagine what it would be like because we've actually seen instances of this just a few years ago. And to give you one example of a hearing, um, we had Planned Parenthood um, executive Cecile Richards, who was testifying uh, before Congress. And I'm going to read you three of the different headlines that we had when there was kind of a similar interaction um, between between uh, Chaffetz and Gowdy and Cecile Richards, a few Republican men who had some choice words for her. So this is MSNBC. Planned Parenthood chief embarrasses GOP representatives. Uh, This one's Huffington Post. GOP interrupts Planned Parenthood president for five hours. Clinton got interrupted how many times? Debate night by the numbers. That's USA Today. That was a different topic, but similar narrative when it is a woman who is a Democrat The press is there to defend her and make her seem like a poor victim when the uh, when when the witness is, you know, associated with the Republican administration. It's the exact opposite. The press ate it up. Alyssa Milano, who is an actress, um, applauded him on uh, Cory Booker, applauded him uh, for his performance. And I just thought that was hilarious because you had one actor applauding another actor because that's what Cory Booker was (laughs) doing, acting, let's be honest. Um, So it was... Acting like a jerk. (laughs) It was quite quite a show he put on and nielsen during that hearing was certainly problematic yes she was well that wraps up our show this week thank you all for tuning in and as always if you know problematic women please don't be shy and letting us know you can follow my work at the daily signal and on twitter at kelsey j harkness and you can read all of my stuff over at thefederalist.com and follow me on twitter at brie underscore payton This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist, and it is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. You can tweet segment ideas to her on Twitter at Lauren Liz Evans. And if you like this podcast, please support us by rating it and subscribing on iTunes, SoundClouds, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 